There's that rooster. Hello, friends. It's Tim Barnett here filling in for the one and only Greg Kokel, and I am joined by my friend and colleague, Alan Schleeman. How you doing, Alan? I am doing very well. Thank you. And we just finished uh, looking at the top seven uh, kind of pro-choice memes that are out there, responding to those. Now, we had promised top 10. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to finish the list. This is going to be some bonus content. Well, we're really delivering uh, on our promises. We're not, it's not we, even bonus. Right? <laughs> that's right. We're, you're right. We're just, we're just fulfilling a promise that we made. Okay. So uh, we're not sure how long this will take, but we do have three more challenges, memes um, that we wanted to look at. Actually, some of these are really popular with well over 100,000 uh, likes between them. So these are really popular. You may have even seen some of these challenges floating around on the internet. So uh, let's let's dive into this. Are you okay. okay with that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so here is, uh, continue our list. We did seven. This would be number eight of our top 10. This one says, fun Bible fact. Are you ready for a fun Bible fact? Um, I love fun Bible facts. Okay, here it is. It's <laughs> all caps, by the way. Fun Bible fact. The only time the Bible mentions an abortion is to give you a handy magic potion to perform one. And then it says Numbers 5, verse 11 to 31. And then it says glory, exclamation point. Okay. So there's your Bible fun fact. It is that the Bible, when it actually mentions abortion, it's actually giving you a magical potion to perform one. Right. Uh, what do you think of this, Alan? Uh, I'm not convinced <laughs> that <laughs> okay. uh, we're given a magic potion or that the Bible mentions abortion in this passage. Mm. Um, so uh, although I will admit this, pas this passage is um, strange, uh, and even when I read it the first time, I was kind of like, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. um, but basically, it's a, it's a, I guess, an unusual test for adultery. So this is what this particular passage is trying to test for. And actually, I just I just pulled out uh, one of the pa one of the verses here um, that I think is the relevant verse, even though it's uh, Numbers five eleven through thirty one. It's a longer passage. Mm -hmm. um, here it says, "If she has made herself impure and been unfaithful to her husband, this will be the result." When she is made to drink the water that brings a curse and causes bitter suffering, it will enter her, mm -hmm. her abdomen will swell, and her womb will miscarry, and she will become a curse. Now, that's um, I think that's the NIV um, verse of it. So it looks like it's saying, you know, you give this woman this drink, it'll cause her to miscarry, which is, in their interpretation, an abortion. Mm -hmm. And so... This is what they think it is. So, okay, again, it is kind of weird. Um, what What's going on here is a woman has potentially been unfaithful, and the priest is trying to figure out whether this is the case. Um, but there's a couple of things to understand that I think don't logically follow from what this person believes is being said here. Um, first is this. Even if the punishment is a miscarriage, okay, even if that's the case, and so even if we're, we're reading this and understanding it the way it sounds, um, the reason it's occurring is because of God's judgment and not some private decision a woman makes. Yeah. All right. So in other words, 
even if it's true that this is a miscarriage, it wouldn't justify abortion on demand, elective abortion, right? Uh, just like when David, King David, sinned with Bathsheba and uh, God basically decreed that his son or their son would die. Mm-hmm. Um, God's the one imposing the judgment. It's not It's not David or Bathsheba you know, killing their child. In other words, that example would not be justification for infanticide. And in the same way, even if it's the case that a child is dying here through miscarriage, it wouldn't then therefore prove that you can have abortion on demand. It would just prove that God's instituted a punishment, okay? Mm-hmm. And this punishment happens to be the death of this child. Um, however, I think something else is going on. And, and part of the problem with this passage is that the NIV, I think, translates the passage in a way that I think misleads us. So uh, I've talked about this in a lot of my articles or my STRU course where I talk about never read a Bible verse and I unpack the different kinds of translations that we have for English translations. The NIV is what we call a dynamic equivalent translation. And what it does is it takes words and from the original Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and tries to um, give a thought-for-thought uh, thought inter- uh, translation. And so sometimes you have to get a more literal type of translation, which is a word-for-word translation, to kind of see what the original word is, and maybe you can kind of discern what's going on here, okay? So when I when you read the NASB, and now, oh boy, I just lost it, but when you read the NASB, oh, NASB, here it is. Um, the NIV says her womb will miscarry, but the NASB renders it, her thigh will waste away. Mm-hmm. Now, that sounds a lot different than her womb will miscarry. And that's because, again, the NIV translators are, are taking a guess as to what the thought is and giving it an English version. But I like the fact that the NASB and actually many other translations say this, her thigh will waste away. And so then it becomes the question, well, what does that mean? And if you go to the principle that we always talk about at Standard Reason, never read a Bible verse, right? Read this passage in context. And when you read it in context you get a hint or a clue as to what's involved here. And what you find out is when this woman takes this this concoction, which is a mixture of like holy water and I think dust from the tabernacle floor, this is symbolic for a test that God is doing um, through the priests to see if she's unfaithful or not. And what it says is this, if she is has not been unfaithful, then she will be blessed with fertility and she'll be able to have children. Mm-hmm. But if she is has been unfaithful, then the curse will be that her thigh will waste away. And so when you understand the curse opposite of the blessing, you realize, oh, I see. The blessing is that she'll be able to bear children and the curse will be barrenness, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So no child has been conceived. That's presumed in this person's um, uh, meme, what you just have here is a woman who's been potentially unfaithful and we're determining whether she has or not, has not been. And God sort of renders that decision either by blessing her with fertility or cursing her with barrenness. So this has nothing to do with abortion, let alone miscarriage. Yeah. But that's just being read into it, you know. And again, as we talked about in our original one-hour thing, it's easy to just kind of throw out this little Bible fun fact mm-hmm. in a short meme. But then to try to understand what's really going on requires a lot of energy. 
yeah. and some interpretive work and some reasoning. So that's what yeah. I think is going on. Yeah, that's good. And I, I think your interpretation is consistent because, remember, this is a test that I think is actually meant as a grace to the woman um, to protect her against false allegations, right? Mm-hmm. So not you, a husband couldn't just say, you're being unfaithful. Okay, let's punish this woman. No, what's going to happen is there's no witnesses here. So who's going to be the judge? It's going to be God. Now, what's interesting is the punishment of barrenness makes way more sense because that could apply to any woman who's been unfaithful, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas if, if, if miscarriage is really the right interpretation, well, then that would only apply to women who have been unfaithful and conceived and become pregnant. Right. What about the woman who was unfaithful, but never, um, never got pregnant. Yeah. There would be no punishment there on that, on that view, on that mistaken interpretation. Yes, that's right. So to me, with everything you just said, on top of the fact that barrenness makes sense of the punishment, again, this is God who's carrying it out. This is not instructions for abortion. Okay. Um, the, 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 the ink dust water mixture was not an abortion, abortion, right? That it, this is just something that would do nothing if the woman was, um, actually faithful, if these were false allegations. And so it was, it was God who was actually exercising the punishment, which we think is, is probably barrenness. That seems to be the best interpretation. So, uh, so good, Alan, this, that is a hard one. And a lot of people just see numbers, uh, chapter five, they go there, not really understanding the old Testament context or whatever. And then, and then if they read the NIV, of course, that really, um, gives an unclear picture of what's going on. Every other translation that I've seen translates it, as you say, this thigh falls away, the belly swells, this kind of thing. Um, and then there's, and there's some, some guesswork on what that even means. You know what I'm saying? Um, maybe it's almost made to look like a fake pregnancy, you know, the barrenness. And then you got this humiliation of the belly swelling. I I don't know. There's a lot of speculation. It could be a euphemism as well. That was known to the time and it's just unfamiliar to us. Yeah, that's right. So clearly this is, but this is not a clear Bible fun fact. Okay. Um, (laughs) Uh, and certainly has nothing to do with abortion as we see it today. It has nothing to do with how to perform an abortion. Okay, so this is just... This By the way, I just remembered, I, Tim, I have an article I wrote on this very passage on our website. Okay. And the, the article's titled, Did God Ordain Abortion as a Punishment for Infidelity? So if you wanted to get um, a more detailed, mm-hmm. I don't know, unpacking of that passage yeah. and this particular objection, check it out on our website. That would be great. So check, yeah, check. Actually, probably every challenge we've looked at so far in the last podcast and the ones we're looking at um, in this one, you probably have something related. I mean, you've been writing on pro-life apologetics and answering these kinds of challenges for years, right? Right. And so you probably have something related to each of these challenges on our website if people were just to go there, str.org and search up abortion click you can actually select um the author so if you if you were to click alan schleeman you know what amy writes on this issue too i have some stuff on it as well you're gonna see um great content on there i think that responds to a lot of these issues 
Okay, so that was number eight. Let's try number nine here. On our way to the top 10 pro-choice memes, responding to them. And so here's number nine. This one is really interesting. I don't know if I copied it. So I'm going to read it off here. By the way, this one has 100,000 likes. 100,000 people like this. Okay, so it says this. Stop abortion at the source. Vasectomies are reversible. Make every young man have one. When he's deemed financially and emotionally fit to be a father, it will be reversed. What's that? Did the idea of regulating a man's body make you uncomfortable? Then mind your own blank business, okay? We're going to keep this family friendly, okay? Right, right, right. But this got 100,000 likes. Um, so, and I've, I've seen this kind of thing. Actually, there was a, there was a TikTok video which makes almost the same kind of argument. Mm-hmm. Goes straight for the vasectomies, um, says that's the way to stop abortion. And it had, it had almost 5 million views, okay? Really popular video on TikTok. So how do, what do we, how do we respond to this particular challenge? Well, like we talked about in the first hour, you know, a lot of these memes simply presume that the unborn is not a human being, that the only body that's involved is the woman's body. And in this case, you have the same sort of thing, you know. Um, they're trying to draw a parallel between a pregnant woman and a man. And there's no parallel because a man is just one person, whereas a pregnant woman, we would argue, is two people, right? Now, they might not agree with that, but notice that's the key question that needs to be answered. What is the unborn? That's the key question that we have to first, you know, kind of address. So this meme just simply assumes the pro-choice view, which is the unborn is not an individual human being. It's just part of the mother's body. And so if you were to just try to respond to it in that sense, you're kind of starting with um, presuming their assumptions to be true, which, you know, puts you in a hole. So I would never kind of just move, if someone were to say this to me, for example, I would first want to unpack the question, what is the unborn? Because if the unborn is a human being, just like you and me, then that person is inside the woman and then it's not just about regulating a man's body, you know, as if we're just trying to regulate just a woman's body. Because I agree, yeah. If the if the unborn is not a human being, then I agree we shouldn't regulate a woman's body. Because that's like, why should we do that? I think we should all be free to operate our, our own bodies the way we want them, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so that's that's one thing. The other thing is we actually don't have a problem with regulating people's bodies, because we actually pass laws all the time that regulate people's bodies. And an example of that is if, is if I wanted to use my body to, say, injure you, Tim, mm-hmm. right? Now, of course, we're far away, but say we were in the same, same proximity, right? Yeah. I, I can't just punch you. I just can't, like, take a knife and stab you. I can't do certain things with my body to hurt you. And so the government does regulate my body and prevent me from doing that. Now, of course, the abortion choice advocate is going to say, well, but that's different because you're hurting another person. And I'm going to say, exactly. That's precisely what we think is happening in the case of an abortion. They'll say, well, but the unborn is not a human being. Oh, okay. So that's the key question. Is it a human being or is it not? We have to first answer that question before we can answer the question whether it's justified to regulate a woman's body. So that's, again, a lot of these memes presume things uh, assumptions that we are don't hold to and so you have to kind of unpack those before you can really um show what's wrong with them 
It was, uh, that's really good. I think that's the main issue. Uh, there's some other things here, too. Like, it says, when he's deemed financially and emotionally fit to be a father, it will be reversed. Now, okay, so you get a vasectomy, and then, okay, someone deems this person financially and emotionally fit to be a father. But does that still prevent women from being pregnant or, or making men commit or stopping women? Okay, let's say the, the man is financially and emotionally fit. But right. the woman isn't. And she says, my body, my choice. So to me, this, I mean, it's, again, we said the other, there were some vacuous um, challenges. This one, again, is so, I mean, it sounds so good, you know, because we're, you know, let's regulate the man's body. But right. this, does, this does not actually solve any kind of abortion issue. Okay, because women at the end of the day, if the argument is my body, my choice, will get to make the decision. Right. And so we're we're. We're not talking about the real issue. And the real issue is, is the unborn a valuable human being worthy of, of life? Um, and that just seems to get ignored in this whole thing. Okay. Are you ready for number 10? Yeah, let's do number 10. Okay. So well, they're already. Uh, yeah. So this is one, man, it just keeps making the rounds. Mm-hmm. I saw it. Uh, uh, probably last year, and it had when I saw it, a different person tweeting it. It had like a hundred thousand likes. This person tweeted has forty thousand likes. Um, this one I think is more complicated. It might take a, a few minutes to to unpack here. But here, here's this one's interesting. So let me read it to you. It says, "Here's the thing, guys. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when life begins. It doesn't matter whether a fetus is a human being or not." That entire argument is a red herring, a distraction, a subjective and unwinnable argument that could not matter less. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about a fertilized egg or a fetus or a baby or a five-year-old or a Nobel Prize winning pediatric oncologist. Nobody has the right to use your body against your will even to save their life or the life of another person. That's it. That's the argument. You cannot be forced to donate blood or marrow or organs, even though thousands die every year on waiting lists. They cannot even harvest your organs after your death without your explicit written pre-mortem permission. Denying women the right to abortion means we have less bodily autonomy than a corpse. All right. So there it is. That's end quote. That's the meme. Okay. Now this meme isn't just a quick soundbite. This is a more developed kind of argument. This is kind of, this is a little bit different than some of the ones we've seen. And you notice that, man, they say it doesn't even matter when life begins. They grant that it's a human being. They grant that it could be a Nobel prize winning pediatric oncologist. Okay. Like a cancer doctor for kids. It doesn't matter. Because nobody has the right to use your body against your will. All right. So there it is, Alan. There's yeah. the challenge. Number 10. What do we do with it? So most of that is kind of theatrics. Um, the, the, main, the main core of the, the argument there is nobody has the right to use your body against your will, even to save their life or the life of another person. And then they, they're just giving examples of like donating organs or blood and so on and so forth. Yeah. So and, and I would say in generally speaking, they're they're right about that. Uh, the problem is, is what they're trying to do is set up um, a, a parallel between two things or an analogy between two things. Um, you as an adult being forced to use your body parts for somebody else 
and a woman who is pregnant who's forced to use her body parts for her unborn child. Mm -hmm. And the only way that works is if the um, if the two things being compared are parallel in morally relevant ways. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not denying they're not parallel in any way. I'm just saying they're not parallel in morally relevant ways. Right. So the the first way I would say, or the first mistaken premise, the first way that they're not parallel, is that this argument presumes that a woman who's pregnant is using her body in an unnatural way. Okay, and that's not the case. Right. When you when you are being asked to donate, say your organ, right. Uh, this is not a natural thing to do. It's not the way the body was designed to do, right? Uh, think about it, for example. What's the purpose of, let's just say you're going to donate your kidney, okay? What's the purpose of a kidney? Well, it's to filter blood, okay? Whose blood is it supposed to filter? Your own blood. Exactly right. Okay, uh, what's the function of a uterus to gestate a human being? What human being? Your own son or daughter, Okay. So notice the, the, the uterus is designed to do the very thing that is naturally designed to do the very thing that it's supposed to be doing in the case of pregnancy, which is to gestate the mother's own son or daughter inside. But when you donate organs or blood or whatever, like this is a completely unnatural thing. It's not, that's not what they're designed to do. So I think this is one way that the uh, analogy breaks down is that in the case of a person being forced to donate body parts, that is a completely unnatural thing that those organs aren't designed to do. But in the case of pregnancy, a child is precisely in the exact organ that they're supposed to be when a woman is pregnant. Mm -hmm. a, a uterus is literally designed for that very, very, uh, that very thing, you know. So that's, that's where I think one of the areas uh, or one of the ways in which the the two scenarios break down. Yeah. And then the second main one would be simply the fact that um, this analogy presumes that a woman has no more obligation to her own son or daughter than she does to a complete stranger. Right? I agree. We're not obligated to, you know, donate our organs to strangers, right? Because we have no obligation to, you know, save the life of people who are dying. Like, that's not something that we have to do by cutting you know cutting out our organs but that's not the same obligation that a mother or any parent has towards their children right um like for example i mean even just take born kids like um i am obligated to care for my kids like now obviously my kids are teenagers now but suppose when they were just one year old or two years old right um if i just left my house and my wife and i just left our house and went to florida for a vacation and just left our two-year-old sitting on the couch. Um, the, the law would say, um, sorry, you, you have an obligation to care for that kid yeah. and to protect them and nurture them. But I don't have that same obligation to, you know, people down the street and their kids, hmm. right? And so what this, uh, the, what this kind of meme does is it makes it look like a woman has the same kind of relationship to her own children that she does a complete stranger. Hmm. And I think that's the second key place where this analogy breaks down. And so since the uh, since the two scenarios are not parallel in those two relevant ways, the natural use of people's organs and the natural uh, or I should say the, uh, the more responsibility yeah. Yeah, that parents have to their kids, I think the, uh, the analogy doesn't work. That's really helpful. I think when you start to see 
in particular, that responsibility kind of objection to this argument, um, it's, I think most people can see there's a big difference between the obligations that I have as a parent to my three girls and the obligation I have to say the neighbor kids, you know? Um, so I, to me, that's, that's really helpful in answering this challenge. Um, but also the kind of the, the unborn is right where it's supposed to be in that, in that resting place, the womb, the uterus. Right. Your organs aren't meant to be in someone else's body. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which is why their body will typically reject your organs because they're not matched, you know? Yeah. But the unborn, even though it's a different body, fits in the uterus just fine and has no rejection problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So would you say that this particular challenge, this kind of bodily autonomy argument, is actually one of the um, – it is uh, – well, a couple things. Is one of the most popular right now, like – People are willing to grant more and more, okay, fine, it's human. Fine, it's a person. It's even a Nobel Prize winning scientist. I still can do whatever I want. Are you seeing that um, in, in, you know, as you talk to people? I, don't, I wouldn't say it's the most popular, but it okay. has grown in popularity. Yeah. This is sort of a takeoff from uh, Judith Jarvis Thompson's old argument called the violinist. Yeah. Uh, where and it's it's you, you see this person's I don't know if they intentionally did but they've taken parts of it where she says you know you imagine you wake up you, you pass out you wake up and you're surgically connected to some famous violinist you know mm-hmm. um, and uh, it turns out that the Society of Music Lovers has kidnapped you and connected you to this violinist and your blood is connected to their blood and your kidneys mm-hmm. are, are are filtering this violinist kidneys because they have some rare disease and you're the only person in the world who's matched to, you know, care for them. Should you be obligated to stay in that, you know, situation for nine months in bed, surgically connected to this, this violinist, you know, this miniature violinist. So it sounds like they're kind of playing off that yeah. because they sort of make the same sort of references, a Nobel prize winning pediatric oncologist. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, it, you know, her, her argument was more philosophical and it was powerful in its day. Yeah. And I think even Greg Kokel shares a story when he first heard it. He was driving and I think he pulled over. Yeah. Because he was so taken aback by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you first hear it, you're like, wow, that sounds super compelling. Mm-hmm. But like many things, when you begin to unstring the violinist. No, that's good. I'm just saying that because that was Greg's article a long time yeah. ago. Um, <laughs> When you start to take apart the, uh, you know, or not take apart, but think through what's being implied, see if there's really an analogous situation between those two scenarios, begin to realize, oh, no, there's actually big problems with this. And it it creates a ridiculous sort of scenario where, as I said, it makes, you know, parents in this kind of weird, hostile, stranger situations with their kids, you know. Mm When in reality, we're obligated to care for our kids all the time, uh, whether they're in the womb or outside the womb, I think. Yeah. Well, I, Alan, I really appreciate our time uh, together. What's interesting is you, you not only gave us good um, arguments in response, um, but you kind of helped us think through some of these things so that when we come across a meme that we didn't address in in our top 10 here over the two podcasts, hopefully people saw, look, even in this last, even in this last tweet, we see all these uh, 
we see this whole, like there's a lot of rhetoric in here. And yet here's the main, okay, where's the main argument? Oh, here it is. Nobody has the right to use your body. Okay, there it is. And once I find that argument, I can now assess it. But sometimes you got to peel away the rhetoric, right? And, um, and you see a lot of rhetoric in social media posts and memes. Um, and, so, and so I hope this is a good lesson to our listeners and our viewers here. Hey, find the argument and then, at- and then attack the argument, not the person. Remember, with this issue, we want to bring truth but we also want to bring compassion. Let's keep those things. Grace and truth. Alan, thank you so much for hanging yeah. with me for another half hour. It's been a blast. Thanks. Thanks for everyone for tuning in. Um, we will see you next week. Until then, give them heaven.